Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. Here's a bonus episode for season five where I was invited to join the hip hop artist in Mumbai, Jay Killa, on the agenda, an upcoming podcast from Cointelegraph that explores the intersection of culture, crypto, and all things Web3. It's hosted by Jonathan DeYoung, Cointelegraph senior copy editor, and Ray Solomon, its head of markets. And their plan is to bring to light trending topics within the space and chat with the builders and participants of emerging innovative projects. In this episode, we recap NFT NYC, our favorite music, the consumption layer for music NFTs and its associated misconceptions, tips for artists getting into the space, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Adam. Welcome, Jay. Thank you so much for joining us on the agenda for this episode to talk about everyone's favorite hot topic, which is music NFTs. So it's hoping that uh, you, two could, you two could just quickly introduce yourselves and then um, maybe let us know how your uh, NFT NYC experience went, if there were any highlights for you. Do you want to start, Adam? Yeah, so thanks for having me, guys. My name is Adam Levy, uh, at Levy Chain on Twitter. I host the podcast Mint. It's a podcast exploring the corner of where crypto meets creators. So all in the Web3 creator economy and how creators are using Web3 primitives like social tokens, DAOs, NFTs to build, monetize, and own their audience. Uh, I'm a creator myself, hence the, the podcasting stuff. So I love messing around and experimenting with these primitives to kind of build my own audience, monetize my own audience. So I love capturing the stories of what's happening. And uh, it was no different at NFT NYC specifically because of all the creators, all the projects, all the fun that was happening over there. Um, personally, I was incredibly overwhelmed with everything that was happening, running around nonstop the entire week. Uh, but there was a lot of music NFT events uh, that I really got to enjoy from sound.xyz to decent to mint songs. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Also, Catalog had a really cool one too that unfortunately I missed. But yeah, guys, I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Jay? Hey, um, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jay Killa. I'm a rapper based in Mumbai. Um, I'm originally from New York, but I've been out there for four or five years. And uh, yeah, I got into NFTs last year. Um, you know, just as an independent artist, you're always looking for new sources of income. And um, at the end of last year, a friend and I, uh, we, we started a project called OTP India, which is a collection of trading cards meant to empower Indian hip hop artists. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about it later, but basically when you collect an artist's card, you unlock perks uh, related to them. And yeah, NFT NYC was dope. I was surprised, you know, um, there were two things, two, I mean, one of the highlights was, you know, going to Ape Fest. I know uh, it's kind of cliche, but I was just, I was just impressed uh, with just the level that those guys have gotten to. Um, and, you know, the, 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 What's the word like the fan love the community that they've built you know everyone's so hyped about everything related to them and uh the second was actually the the cool cats uh they had this like interactive exhibit which was like a real life play to earn kind of thing um and that that i thought was really cool so and and just the overall energy you know the People are talking about the bear market, crypto's dead, but everyone at NFT NYC was hyped and that was, it was really inspiring to see and just dope to uh, meet so many people. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Adam, what was the, um, what would you say was like the 
dopest thing that you did, saw, or attended at um, NFT NYC? The dopest thing that I saw or attended would probably be Magic Eden and Phantom's yacht party that they had at uh, I think it was I think it was Port Forty or Pier Forty or whatever. Um, it was like a four or five story boat that they rented out because they just raised a new round. I think it, they, they valued it at like $1.7 billion valuation mm. at 130 mil. So they threw a huge party to celebrate with open bar and food and a good time. Saw a bunch of friends over there. Um, that was probably the more memorable, like uh, shiny thing, but the more quality intimate thing that I attended uh, had to be more of the music events. You know, it's, it's cool because last NFT NYC, you didn't see too many artists perform uh, blockchain Brett through, I guess, like the first music NFT event. Uh, uh, I think it was a couple of years. No, about a year or so ago. The NFT NYC before this one, basically. And that was the first time like music artists had a had a genuine presence in a, in a crypto event. Now, coming to this NFT NYC, you saw so many events around music artists celebrating Web3 music, uh, whether it be from the distribution side to the royalty side to just purely throwing concerts. That's my scene. Like I, I love that crowd. And for the first time I, I got into crypto in 2017, but for the first time, I feel like I found my people in, in web three, cause I'm a drummer myself. And I don't know, just the, the like-mindedness and the energy and the quality of people and just the characters there. Um, it feels like home for the most part. Speaking of music, is there anything that the two of you are, uh, that you've been bumping recently, any particular artists, that are kind of uh, at the top of your your Spotify playlist rotation. I mean, the song that I've been bumping right now is is uh, running up that hill. That Kate Bush song from uh, <laughs> that's Stranger, a Stranger Things, Things one. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's too good. It's too good. That's like I'm um, hearing people call that the song of the summer, and it's from the '80s, right? I know. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Otherwise, you know that uh, in terms of like crypto songs, that this girl um, Salem. Malise, I, for, I, for, I forgot her last name, but she has that song "Crypto Boy." That was I was listening to that for a little bit. That was that was a good song. Oh, I think I heard that on TikTok. Is that the "I Don't Want oh No Crypto Boy"? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forgive hey, it's, my. It sounds uh, like Olivia singing. Rodrigo. Yes, yes. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. What about so you? So for me on Spotify, for whatever reason, uh. Two completely different genres <laughs> have been bumping for, for a minute. So ABBA, the disco band uh, yeah. from the 70s. Hey. I've, been, I've been listening to a lot of their music and just trying to understand. Well, their music seems so simple, but I know it's complex. Like being able to condense and create something that sounds so simple from a, a lyrical point of view and from a melody point of view. I don't know. I think it's because they're like their leverage is English is not their first language. So they tell stories in a much more different way, right? Um, because they're, I think they're, where are they? From the Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and uh, you can tell in the way they speak, in the way they sing, in the stories that they that they kind of preach. It's it's like, it's very like, I don't know. It's, it feels like a, a story, like a narrative. So that's ABBA. And then the next artist is Ant Sanders or Saunders. Uh, I came across him on TikTok. I love his voice. I love his style. So that's on Spotify, not on Spotify, which I've been finding a lot more interesting music is uh, Bloody White. I've been constantly playing Jumper. He minted 50 editions of this song. I don't think it's on Spotify. I couldn't find it. It's incredible. And unfortunately, I don't own, I didn't manage to collect one of them, but I've been going through my friend's wallets and just trying to listen to their, uh, to their songs and what they've collected. And I came across this gem. And it's actually, it's, it's it's a really, really good song. I find more interesting music in Web3 than I do through Spotify's algorithms uh, currently. Um, so, yeah, that's just me, maybe. I don't know if anybody else feels the same sentiment. No, that's wild. I actually want to know, how does that work? So, you know, Spotify algorithm just picks music based off of genres that you might like and, you know, like the natural chemistry of the opposites attracting if you like this you might like this from completely left field like i get that but how does your browsing of um web3 music or music nfts work what's the actual process for that i've never heard one maybe once or twice just at random 
I've heard uh, a song, which is an NFT, but I don't know where to go to search for that sort of music, what sort of artist to look for. I don't know if there's an index or a, a website or an aggregator that has them all there. So what's your process for, so, um, for getting yeah, exposure so, to that sort of music? So there's, there's, if you asked me this like seven, eight months ago, um, or around the time where mid season four came out, where it was all about web three music. Um, a lot of the conversations were, uh, kind of revolving around the consumption layer for music NFTs right now, people were just collecting, but you couldn't really enjoy them. Um, so up until now, even at NFT NYC, I think also at ETH Amsterdam, um, more entrepreneurs, more builders kind of took it upon themselves to create more of the consumption layer around listening and enjoying to the things that you collect on chain. Um, so there's projects like future, Ch future tape, and I'm blanking out on another one. It has like a, it has a, uh, a beige user interface that I'm, I'm blanking out of, but it's also really nice. Um, and uh, they kind of aggregate music NFTs across a couple platforms like sound, like catalog. And I think the other one is Nina, if I'm not mistaken. And they kind of categorize them into different genres. Uh, but the problem behind doing that and kind of creating a scalable solution is the metadata around music NFTs is really really broken it's hard mm. to kind of index music nfts and categorize them as you would with any other sort of web 2 related metadata um so what i do personally i don't use those those indexers quite often like future tape um i've been checking them out here and there but i have a few friends that we just love collecting like shout out to spins uh, 808 on twitter he has one of the best like portfolios that I've seen, and he's just a music head. He also put out an amazing article as to why he collects music NFTs, um, which was incredibly powerful. But I go through his wallet sometimes, and I try to find like interesting tracks that he's collected because we have similar tastes. I like that. So it's kind of like NFT sleuthing for actual JPEGs where... Uh, we follow whale wallets or certain known wallets of uh, respected collectors and use Nansen to try to see what they're buying ahead of time and what contracts they're aping into and try to follow suit and, and get some lead on, you know, oh, this project's going to be hot. This project's going to be hype. So you basically are going through people you respect and people that are your friends that have like interest browsing their wallets to hear what they have. Yeah. I also, I also, uh, I just browse like Zora has a really good player, um, where I can just like kind of see up and coming artists based off the drops and, and, and whatnot. And I can just go and listen, like it's free to listen. Right. Um, that's the cool thing about web three music is that the monetization layer works a little bit differently. Uh, collectors and, and creators, they create like monetization relationships between themselves. Right. And then anybody can go stream and listen to that music for free. Um, I don't know what that model will kind of like evolve to down the line, but it seems to be working at the moment. So before we get too deep into really dissecting the music NFT space, I think for someone like me who is very new to this whole this whole uh, phenomenon, I sort of need a basic definition. So my first question is for Adam. Uh, you know, you dedicated an entire season of your podcast specifically to music NFTs. So you are the perfect person to ask, what exactly is a music NFT? It really just comes down to like tokenizing an audio file, being able to set that up out in the open market and find a collector to kind of buy that and engage with that and join you in your journey as a creator in the music industry. That's how I kind of see it. Now in your, in Mint, you break down what you see as the two different types of music NFTs. Could you just uh, break those down for us here a little bit? Yeah. So I also would argue that this is a little bit controversial, but I think a good way to characterize it for now, there's two different types of music NFTs. Excuse me. There's patronage-based NFTs and ownership-based NFTs. So I like to think of patronage-based NFTs uh, that are collected to kind of support an artist that the, the upside of the NFT is sort of derived from appreciating secondary sales. Um there are no artist royalties kind of accrued from a Web2 standpoint. That's sort of where ownership-based NFTs come into play. So ownership-based NFTs are basically tied to IP rights and royalties. So when you buy the NFT, you now are entitled to the accrual of revenue that kind of is produced from Web2 audio streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera. So 
patronage is you collect for the sake of collecting because you enjoy the art. That tends to be the narrative. Ownership-based NFTs is you buy to maybe even collect to support the artist. There's a little bit of that, but also from the from the guarantee that you're going to get some type of royalty uh, repayment through that. Why do you say it's a gray area? Ownership NFTs being a gray area. What's the deal with that? Is it because it, an NFT is a commodity or a security? Or is it because of the rev share between owner and um, creator and the whole IP rights? And is it is it like an open source type thing? What makes it a gray area in your opinion? It's a securities issue. It's a, it's a, it's an unregistered. I mean, I don't want to say it's an unregistered security, um, but there's ways that platforms have found a way to kind of work around it, which is super interesting. Um, but majority tend to be an unregistered security. Um, if it accrues revenue, right, then yeah, it's qualified as a security. Unless you're an accredited investor that has registered yourself on the platform um, and you can prove that you have at least a mill to your name, then uh, yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's, it's just right. like a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a regulatory issue. So it's something to be figured out, but music NFTs just aren't about music. I know one of the things that you do, because you do many things, but one of them is podcasting and you're using NFTs in a unique way for your show. So um, how can we look beyond the label and kind of better describe what are some of the use cases for quote unquote music NFTs? Yeah. So the way I use them on the podcast is both for monetization and for building a community on chain. So I'll cover monetization first. So since season one of Mint, uh, I've been experimenting with this model of selling NFTs as advertisement slots. I have about a team of five people that work with me that I could not be doing what I'm doing without them. And they're incredible people, but we have to find a way to keep the lights on. So I introduced this like NFT ad model where I issue three to five NFTs every single season. And depending on the NFT that the brand purchases determines the level of promotion for that season. Um, and the reason you might be asking like, okay, why do you need to do that through an NFT? Like, why can't you just do that through like a credit card payment? Well, my whole bet is that I want to do something more on the lines of like a token-based community in the future. And I'm keeping tabs on everybody that has supported me from the sponsor, the listener, to the speaker. Um, so sponsors get NFTs and it's a cool way to kind of do like a public auction sort of where everybody can kind of see what's going on and it creates more of a PR moment uh, and everything is on chain. As a Web3 creator who's creating content for other Web3 creators, I need to practice what I preach. Um, so since episode one, all revenue has been on chain uh, through the wallet address. NFTs have been minted, distributed, and uh, that's on the monetization side as a creator, right? How I make money as a creator. And, I, and I'm very open about that because I want, my goal with Mint is for it to be a platform that other people come to as a way to learn how they can build, how they can own and how they can monetize their audience in crypto. So that's why I'm a, I, I feel like I, I need to be public about that. So that's that. On growing an audience, I use free NFTs as a way to kind of keep tabs on my listeners and my contributors. So I started this thing in season two, uh, where I give out free NFTs at the end of the season to everybody that sort of supported me, listened, or read my, my newsletter. Uh, so I've given out a little bit over 8,000 free NFTs to date across everybody. Um, and it allows me to see who my most active listeners are across season two, season three, season four, and now soon to be season five, because that's, that's coming to an end. People go crazy for them. And it's a fun way for me to give and to continuously give before trying to find a way, how can we take collectively and align incentives as you typically see in, in a lot of the Web3 models out there. So yeah, that's a smart way to build community. So monetize through sponsorships and ads, give back to those that support by tuning in and listening and build kind of like a tightly woven community through showing love and kind of sharing something with them to show that appreciation. Yeah, there's a ripple effect to it because when I do these free NFT drops, they actually, they get minted on my site, right? On adamlevy.io. And uh, if you go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, you can also register and be a part of season five's drop. And I do that as a way to kind of grow my newsletter 
um, and to grow my audience. Because when I issue those free NFTs, there's a ripple effect and I get thousands upon thousands of hits to my website. I get so many new subscribers. I get new listeners and the, the ecosystem just kind of grows every single season. And I like doing that in a seasonal format because I can measure my performance over time. And season four uh, was by far one of the best seasons I've ever had. And season five is like outpacing that even more. So do those NFTs that you issue to your followers, do those then end up in sort of a feedback secondary market loop sort of thing where where people buy and sell and trade those and then that continues to grow your awareness or do people hold on to those as collector's items? Yeah, good question. I don't want these free NFTs to have any monetary value. Actually, the intention of them is to keep tabs and to be able to see who were my earliest supporters from a creator point of view, from a from a listener point of view. It's a way to kind of prove that you participated early on, early in my career as a creator. And you can say that, for example, you discovered Adam Levy's podcast before many others did. And I can prove that by having this NFT in my wallet. So um, for the most, for, for the longest time, I was using POPs to do this from like season two to season three, but season four, I implemented a new system that now you can mint on my site directly on my WordPress site. Um, and the NFTs are actually non-transferable. You see that like, there's some people that try to sell them, but it won't go through. It won't work intentionally so that, uh, we don't gamify this particular process of the token. Uh, and there may or may not be other instances in the future where I integrate more of a secondary market behind these things. Uh, another thing that I've been kind of experimenting with is that I sold my first podcast NFT. So it was an audio file that uh, I put on auction for 24 hours. I sent I set the minimum bid to zero uh, because I didn't know what to price it at. And I just tweeted out like, hey guys, this is my first audio NFT. Uh, it's of episode 100, the full episode on blockchain data. And uh, I got about seven people bidding on it and it ended up selling uh, for 0.22 ETH. You know, nice. um, so I'm trying to experiment more on the audio tokenization front and trying to understand where the values derive from and why someone would collect an audio NFT on a podcast level. But for the most part, I build an audience using free NFTs and monetize using ad NFTs. Damn, that's dope. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I, I like the science behind it, how you track all the metrics and you have a plan and a kind of like an internal roadmap for how you plan to expand strategies for listener retention, strategies for building community, strategies for building out this platform beyond just podcasting and whatnot. So that's, that's really smart. Thank you. So Jay, you're a musician, um, you know, established rapper, aspiring superstar. Um, it sounds like you're also into DeFi and, um, you know, like tokenizing music and helping other artists. And Jonathan and I are uh, musicians and we know the struggle. It's not easy being a struggle rapper. Um, it's not easy putting yourself out there because of COVID, you know, everyone's gigs got canceled. It's just tough. But of course, the whole digital world we live in makes it uh, a lot easier to get yourself out there, but there's still a lot of competition. So, you know, talk to us about what you've learned about music NFTs how you incorporate them into your career, um, about your project OTP, you know, just what are you about? What do you aspire to do? Yeah, no, definitely. It is a, you know, it is a challenge uh, being an independent artist. So, you know, for me, I've been, I've been doing music for about 10 years and um, exactly what you're saying, how during COVID the gigs dried up. And so like uh, at the beginning of last year, you know, when there was all this buzz about NFTs and artists, both musicians and non-musicians launching drops that, you know, were making hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever. I, I was just interested because even from, you know, the low end, right, that you could sell, um, you know, also also on a side note, I loved the breakdown that Adam just did about the patronage versus the ownership models. But I just thought it was really cool that you could sell an NFT and, you know, even if you sold it for $300, right, that's that's more money than you'll see from Spotify in like 10 years uh, as an average artist. Because unless unless you're making unless you're getting millions of streams, like it's it's really uh, almost impossible to make a living from streaming. So that's how I got interested. And then, you know, me and a couple of other artists in Mumbai, we we created an EP 
and we launched uh, some one of one NFTs, uh, you know, last year around this time because uh, that was that was kind of the trend back then. And um, we just wanted to see, uh, you know, we wanted to get a feel for everything that was happening. And since then, I've learned a lot, you know, from doing that. Um, it's it's interesting because because for me, the the ownership model is truly the model that I think is uh, the most interesting. This issue that uh, Adam was just mentioning about it being an unregulated security, you know, once that's figured out, I think because for fans and uh, collectors, I think having a direct incentive, you know, being able to actually be part of the song and own a piece of the song, it just like it creates such a stronger bond where now, you know, you can actually be part of the success of the song then. And it's like, it's in your best interest for the song to succeed. Um, so to me, I think that's the model that's going to become the standard for music and for musicians. Um, you know, I've done Kickstarters in the past uh, to raise money for music videos or, you know, promoting albums. And those are great, right? But then afterwards, you're kind of asking for donations from people and they don't, they get prizes, but they don't really get anything back in the long run, you know? So I think NFTs create this, you know, a much stronger bond between fan and artist. So OTP is a collection of these trading cards, uh, both digital and physical, where we have, we launched our first deck in February and um, we had these 10 artists from across India. And the idea is like, when you buy an artist card, you know, the majority of the funds go directly to them. And then you unlock perks like show free show tickets, shout outs, uh, some exclusive content. Uh, but it's really like a first access point to that artist. And our, our long term vision is to is to keep dropping new decks every three to four months uh, and adding 10 artists. And then we want to build out a trading card game and a whole ecosystem you know, to onboard these artists in India into the into Web3 and become kind of the, the hip hop platform for Indian hip hop artists in Web3. But yeah, you know, it's it's I think one thing that Adam was just saying, which I've seen is I think the also one of the models is like, you know, a lot of people try to price NFTs as really expensive things. But I think it's better to like do uh, exactly what he was saying, give out free ones or price them really low. So like even with OTP, each artist card we're pricing at $27 because uh, we wanted it to be affordable to the average person there. Because, you know, for us, it's, it's not necessarily about uh, getting it's not really about getting the money, but it's about creating that bond between fan and artist and then building the community. Right. So I think having people being able to have, making it more accessible to people is kind of the, the way to go uh, rather than trying to make it like, you know, high end or exclusive. So th those are some of the things that I've learned uh, so far. What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to recognize a couple of our NFT sponsors who are helping make this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Mint Songs. First up, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we've got Mint Songs, a community curated marketplace for one of one music NFTs minted on Ethereum. Mint Songs connects music lovers and collectors with artists that want to build unique one to one relationships with their fans through music. To join as an artist, you will need to be invited by an existing artist or an existing collector within the Mint Songs community. Check out the artists pioneering the future of Web3 music today by visiting mintsongs.com. All right, back to the episode. I'd like to add to that for a sec, Jay, because you're absolutely right. I've collected a bunch of music NFTs um, in the last year or so, and uh, I've went to go watch some of the people who have collected in person. And the experience, once you collect a song that you can then go and perform or go and see live, it's really powerful and really special. What's your vision for this space in the next one to two years? For me, I think, Ray, you touched upon like what, what utility do I get from buying these music NFTs? I think the utility to start off with is just the, the music itself. There has never been a time or never been a way for you to support an artist directly like you can through music NFTs and buying their collectible uh, and being able to have like aligned incentives with watching them grow as an artist uh, as they develop over time. 
So that's number one. So I think the value within itself is you betting on an artist, recognizing that they're, and I, and by the way, I think there's never been a better time to be an independent artist because of all these tools that you have at your disposal to build an audience, monetize an audience and own your audience in, uh, in web three using crypto primitives. Um, so that's, that's off the bat. So another like utility, which is not expected, but it's nice to have is uh, I've collected a bunch from Daniel Allen. He's an EDM DJ. He's probably the hottest, if not one of the hottest independent artists in the space right now. I support a lot of his stuff, whether it be on Mirror or his sound drops, et cetera. And he had this recent crowdfund to basically, he wanted to rent a place in Malibu and do this extensive songwriting camp and just be creatively and financially liberated in a way where he could just go out there near the ocean and create what he loves. And a lot of people funded that, ended up closing the round as well. Whatever, I hit him up and he's like, come come to the Malibu, come to the Malibu location. And I went there and I saw a lot of these artists kind of like putting their heads together, making music. I got to listen to some of the tracks as well. And that experience of being able to support something and then being able to go there in person physically and see the, the production of it is really unmatched. And now he's doing his, his drop called Glass House. Uh, he just released a mirror, uh, a mirror post on it, uh, kind of explaining the drop mechanics and whatnot. So being a part of that entire journey from funding it to being in the room, watching it being produced, to now seeing this new, this new project come to life, watching him perform at NFT NYC, at Marquee, and all these other iconic places. You just you see the artist develop in a way, and you get to be a part of that experience. Like you've never really been a part, been able to be a part of anything else and that I've been a part of, at least. I'll speak from my point of view. Um, so whether it be like following them throughout their journey, whether it be digitally or in like the real world, or um, just supporting them, I think I think that's that's the future of this stuff. I think it's using NFTs as a tool to be able to monetize your audience um, and to be able to kind of spot who your true fans are and be able to create more intimate experiences that are incentive aligned. Because as Daniel Allen does better, likely, I don't know, we have yet to see it actually happen on like a, on a, on a, on a real level, but as Daniel Allen does better, um, a lot of his collectors will do better as well financially because the more value he creates for himself and his music as an artist, the more he feels creatively liberated and financially liberated, the more he has that power, the better he'll do. Right, and the better he does, I think the better his collectors would do. We we have yet to see this thesis kind of come to play, come to fruition uh, in real time. But I th that's that's like what I'm betting on. Yeah, I can hear the excitement and the emotion in your voice um, from that experience. So yeah, I think that's awesome. It's something I look forward to. It's clear that music NFTs uh, are, are bringing creators and uh, consumers or fans closer together and allowing artists to kind of hit that. 1000 true fans status a lot faster. Yeah, I I agree with Adam and I think that is I think that music NFTs are, you know, this this is going to be the future of music because uh there're too many artists that have been complaining for too many years about how streaming doesn't pay anything and you know you you don't need a, you don't even need a thousand people anymore. You need like you need like 50. If 50 people are supporting your music NFT drops every time, uh, you can probably make a living through through a year, you know. And for me, I was telling Jonathan at that party that like NFTs are kind of like the last hope, I think, for independent artists, like to transition into this model where you can actually, you know, get get money for your music uh, in a much more direct way. It's just uh, it's going to disrupt a lot of things. We're seeing funds now uh, build their own like music NFT. Uh, not funds, labels, build their own music NFT funds as a way to try to experiment with this new type of quote unquote asset um, as a way to support an artist and see what that funnel uh, kind of looks like. Um, and Jay, just to, just to uh, follow up on what you just said, RAC tweeted a while ago, it was around April. Uh, he tweeted that uh, 1.85 ETH or about 5.7K in royalties uh, was earned in one week. And that was generated by 36 people which essentially would have taken 1.4 million plays to generate that on Spotify, right? And that's not counting wow. the primary sale of 10 ETH, about 31K at the time, which is equivalent to 7.75 million plays. So all in all, 136 people generated more than 9.1 million people in value. 
right? Which is wild. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So what exactly does it mean to own that NFT? Do you own the music itself that is attached to the NFT? Uh, well, it depends what NFT you buy. If you buy on Royal or on Decent, you have to read the fine print of the contract that you end up buying into, but you own a share, a sliver of a song, right? In uh, a real world format. Here's the thing, web two and web three are highly disconnected, right? So a lot of what happens in web three is kind of like live and true in web three. So when I buy like a non-royalty, a non-ownership based NFT, a more patronage based NFT, what I own ends up being what sits in my wallet, right? So the actual token that sits in my wallet, and most of the time, the audio file ends up being uh, off-chain. It's either an Arweave or an IPFS. So that's another like interesting conversation or like it, it maybe uh, rests on AWS, for example, right? So it makes you think like if, if one of those, let's say if AWS goes down, right? Do you like, what do you own at the end of the day? It's just like, it's just a token without the link to the song, which is a, a big issue that other people are trying to tackle right now. But the ownership area in Web3 is also incredibly gray. At the, at the forefront, like at the foundational level, the NFT, if you bought the song, if you bought the collectible, it sits in your wallet. Like you can see that, right? You can go mm -hmm. to Zerion, you can go on your OpenSea profile, you can see the collectible living in your wallet, but that's about it. That's about it. But the value, again, accrues on the secondary side of things. If it's a patronage-based NFTs, also if it's an ownership-based NFT, like you see people flipping uh, NFTs from uh, Royal.io, Indecent, et cetera. The ownership layer has yet to really be fully defined and understood by, by many, but uh, I, was, I was even at fault for this until Blau, uh, Justin Blau of Royal kind of explained to me, he's like, that's a, that's a major misconception. Like you think you own the collectible, but you don't because mm -hmm. the file sits off chain. There are some projects that are minting, minting music NFTs and the music lives on chain, right? But there's very few people that, that kind of tackle that right now. For me, I see the value of either. Um, I think it depends what type of collector you are. Uh, for me, I like to support an artist that I love their music. And a lot of independent artists can't really get on Royal just yet because they're doing things one-off. So if I can support an artist from a collectible point of view, from a patronage point of view, I'll take that any day. Even though I don't own like any IP or I'm not entitled to any copyright or any anything like that. But I think, and this is the bet, this is the bet that I'm making as a collector, I think the value will accrue as the artist becomes more Web3 native. So as they integrate and use more printed and they create like a creator DAO or they launch a social token or some type of ERC20 of some sort to kind of tie value back to the community and they adopt more Web3 ways of, of building an audience, monetizing an audience and owning their audience, more of that value is going to accrue to the entire ecosystem of, of them, around themselves as a whole. So Jay, I was wondering, do you have... Any plans either on a personal level or through OTP to kind of uh, play around with this idea of ownership that we've been talking about, uh, you know, putting out NFTs where fans get, uh, I don't know, get a, a uh, percentage of streaming royalties or ownership or uh, putting out NFTs uh, through a creator DAO type situation where fans can maybe decide on, could vote on which songs should be made into music videos. Have you thought at all, or do you have any plans to kind of, I don't know, take OTP and play around with some of these more uh, ownership and uh, sort of maybe DAO and or DAO based forms of uh, using NFTs in music? Yeah, definitely. So um, let me answer both of those those questions. So personally for myself, I decided, you know, um, I'm only going to release my music now as NFTs and I'm going to give ownership with as many as I can. So right now, another artist from Delhi and myself, we have this collab album um, and we're, we've made, uh, it's a six track EP or it's an EP. It's a six track EP and uh, we have six artworks and each one uh, we've made into NFTs. There, there are five editions for each track, and uh, you know we're just doing it through OpenSea. But for the collectors, anyone who buys one edition, you know they get five percent ownership of the track, um, in addition to different perks. With with OTP, uh, we didn't want to get into the artist's music just yet because you know a lot of them are just finding out about NFTs in India. 
So for our first uh, goal was to just spread awareness and to make it as simple as possible because a lot of these artists are very protective about their music. But we are partnering with this company uh, called Vuzek, who was at that Wave World party. And they're basically, you know, they're launching a, a music stock market, basically, where you can release songs um, as tokenized songs. So you create a token for a song or an album. And then uh, whoever per the artist sets the, the price of each token and, you know, how much percent uh, collectors will get of the song. And then they have the their technology allows the streaming revenue to actually automatically get diverted to whoever uh, is purchasing that token. So OTP artists will be able to release their music through them. Um, and, you know, the long term goal of OTP is to become a DAO where all every artist and the members of the community, you know, have a say in how how everything is run. How is it? How's the process been trying to onboard these these perhaps Web2 native artists and fans as well uh, into Web3 and into the NFT space. Have you found it to be difficult in any way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the challenges that we've been facing because um, I just, you know, the hip-hop scene in India, it's uh, it's really grown a lot in the last five years. Like, you know, before uh, like 2017, there was really... There wasn't even that much of an independent music scene in uh, in India. All, most of the music was attached to Bollywood. There was, of course, some, but it wasn't that big. But with like you know the rise of streaming platforms, YouTube, um, all these independent artists started emerging. So you know, hip hop itself um, in the mainstream in India is a pretty new thing, because because everyone there is hearing about NFTs, and there is a huge Web three community. You know, India has become the largest the country with the largest amount of cryptocurrency holders in the world, um, mm. which is interesting. But like, yeah, we've had to, so all these artists know about NFTs and they know it's like um, a way they can earn additional income, but, they, but no, they don't know what it is exactly or how they work. That's one of the things that we've been having to do is, uh, you know, just spread education and knowledge because, uh, you know, the artists are the ambassadors for OTP and it's, it's kind of more of a platform for them to like, you know, do anything Web3 related. So yeah, that's that's something we're working on is just educating them. And even now, the next set of artists that we're onboarding, we make sure that they have you know a certain knowledge before they come on. Adam, you've looked at a lot of music NFT projects, um, and you've talked to and interviewed a lot of musicians, builders, executives, and such. So, what, what's the best thing you've heard? What's the most useful? Um, intriguing okay. or exciting tidbit that, that you've taken away from all the interviews that you've done? I think the the most exciting tidbit and takeaway that I've that I've kind of gotten from interviewing so many of these uh, builders, musicians, artists, founders, etc., and that I've also applied to myself and how I I think about things and building my audience comes from Verte. One of the biggest issues or problems that a lot of artists have when they enter the music NFT world is they want to tokenize a song, okay? But they don't know what to price it at. And this is a really big conversation. Like, how do you price your work? How do you price an addition? How do you price a one-of-one -one song? Why are some songs priced at one ETH versus some are priced at 0.1 ETH? Value is very arbitrary, right? One man's trash is another man's treasure. I guess the number one advice I could give to anybody that's coming into the space and something that I've taken upon myself is when you're approaching your first drop, I would recommend doing an open bid or, or market bid type of structure where you just let the market decide what it's worth and let that be the foundation for everything that you do moving forward. For example, I just minted recently, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, my first podcast audio NFT. It was episode 100 of the podcast. I didn't know what to price it at. And uh, I just said, whatever, I'm going to do a 24-hour bid structure. Uh, I'm going to make it uh, the starting bid at 0.00001 ETH, which was like the best I could do at closest to zero. And I'll just, I'll tweet about it. I'll send it out to a few people. I'll let them decide what it's worth. And then from there, I can kind of gauge over time what a podcast NFT would be worth, right? Based off what the market is willing to buy it at, buy it at excuse me. So TLDR, if you don't know what to price it at, let the market decide. I think that's brilliant advice, and I've encountered that a lot. You know, I run a markets department and hire people for Cointelegraph all the time, and 
of course, there's a standard salary, but if you're a freelancer, um, I find that a lot of people, younger, older, uh, between men and women, people of color, non-people of color, they don't necessarily know what their worth is and they're, they're willing to let someone else dictate that for them. Um, so yeah, looking at your advice, I think it's really valuable in that if you don't know how to price your product, then let the market determine the floor for that. So you have some general idea of what people are willing to pay for it and then use that information to help you going forward um, in future, you know, in like future drops that you plan to do. In the same way, I would tell people that want to work in crypto, crypto media or whatever, shoot for the stars, you know, don't sell yourself short and think that you're just worth 40 or 50 bucks an article, you, you know, like it's part of your job also as a creator to do a little market research and see what's the going rate for what you do and try to position yourself around that number. Yeah. I guess, uh, Ray, if I could add one more thing, actually. Yeah, go for it. I think the the next thing that I've taken away that I kind of like advise other people who are entering the space, and this is something that I learned from Daniel Allen, um, is if you want to do a music NFT and you want to build a collector base and you're new to the space, put a pin in that idea and revisit it in three to six months. During those three to six months, go and join other communities, uh, go and attend crypto conferences, go and join uh, other token-based groups, find your friends, find your people, find, find your community. And then from there, you'll have some type of backbone to release uh, uh, your first drop with. Because if you just go out there out and dry, you know, and you have no one that you know, and nobody knows you, then likelihood nobody's going to collect from you. But if you take the time, do your homework, learn what's going on, understand the ecosystem, join communities, join discords, uh, attend conferences, side events, meetups, et cetera, and tell everybody what you're up to. Tell them what you're about. Tell them your vision. Tell them your name. Tell, share with them your music. And then slowly but surely, you'll be building those like those cookies, you know. And then from there, you'll have the right foundation to drop your first NFT. Uh, so shout out to Daniel Allen that kind of taught me that. Exactly. Put in the work. I think those are both pieces of uh, of great advice. And the networking aspect, the you know, uh, kissing babies and shaking hands aspect. I think especially rings true as uh, as an independent artist myself, where so much of building a fan base, building connections, building relationships with artists, getting shows, doing collabs is all about networking. And I don't mean that in the corny, like go to a, a, a event where you buy a $10 drink and just hand out your mixtape to everybody, although that does work for some people. But building those genuine relationships with people has, has, in my own personal experience, I am still a struggle rapper, so take what I say with a grain of salt, um, but has been instrumental in whatever success I have seen. And for Jay, as uh, another independent artist yourself, albeit definitely more more successful than I, than I have been. Um, I have a similar question to the one that Ray had for Adam, which is that you are, you know, elbows deep into the grease, the dirt, the grime. You're in the trenches right now of launching EPs that are, that are launched as NFTs and building this trading card collectible, uh, this, this collectible trading card project for these Indian hip hop artists. So if you have one thing that you have learned in your journey or one piece of advice that you would give to an artist who is considering taking the same journey, what would that be? You know, it's, it's similar to, to what Adam said. It's just, you know, never stop learning. Like, cause even for me, you know, even from this conversation just now, like I, I learned a whole bunch of things that I did not know uh, before you know, about Web3 and music NFTs. So it's like this whole space, it's so new that like, um, it's important that you don't just do it to do it. You know, you don't just do it to try to like make a quick buck, right? Cause it's like, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta gain the knowledge, you know? And the knowledge right now is, is the power. So um, it's definitely, you know, just start researching, learn, you know, what is an NFT, learn about blockchain, learn, learn about these like new technologies and what they actually do and how they function. Um, for any artist that's trying to get into this space, 
And, uh, but the other piece of advice is that, you know, you can, you can do it now. You can, uh, you can make a career out of music and uh, be happy. You can be happy. <laughs> Everyone can be happy, just like Pharrell said. Exactly. Keep at it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I really appreciate both of you taking the time and working with us um, and sharing your expertise with us. Tell us, where can we find you, um, Jay and, and Adam? Where are you at? Where can our fans connect with you? Can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at jkilla, J-A-Y space K-I-L-A um, or underscore on Instagram. And uh, yeah, download my mixtape. And then you can find me, uh, well, if you go to adamlevy.io forward slash mint, M-I-N-T, you can find everything about the podcast. If you are a Twitter head like I am, search levy chain that's l-e-v-y-c-h-a-i-n like blockchain but levy um and then tune in to season five season four three two one uh, and also tune into season six which is coming out i guess uh in a week and a half or so two weeks brand new lineup brand new theme that i don't think anybody's talking about and i think uh, it's going to be the next thing in the creator economy in web3 epic lineup of experts to kind of shed more light on that so yeah guys thank you so much for having me this was great Love Cointelegraph uh, and appreciate you guys. Congratulations on making it this far into the episode. You are a champ. And because of that, I want to say thank you by giving you a free participation NFT. You can claim yours today by visiting adamlevy.io forward slash NFT. Follow the steps on your screen and you'll be good to go. Also, depending on which platform you're listening on, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, favorite, etc. It really helps grow the platform and our reach online. And last but not least, I want to give some love and recognize one of our NFT sponsors who's helping make this episode a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3.